0: Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. We believe that dads matter. That's why this show is for you. So gear up, dads. Get ready. It's time to start climbing. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Our guest today is Alex Wassum. We are very excited to speak with him and learn from his experience and uh, just welcome into the show. So Alex, welcome. How are you, man? Thanks,
1: guys. I'm I'm great. I'm humbled. I'm honored. I'm grateful. I uh, really appreciate you guys. It's good to be surrounded by a great men like yourself. So thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, I appreciate that, man. Um, we're really excited to speak with you and learn from your story um, and kind of share your wisdom with uh, men all out there who are probably struggling with things like uh, we all believe we are. And, um, you know, I just appreciate up front. just want to say how much I appreciate your candor and willingness to be open about, you know, your life and, and the struggles that you've experienced. And uh, so with that, let's let me give a little bit of a quick bio for you and fill in anything that I miss. But um, you are the author, you're an author, speaker and a coach, your husband and father of three girls, right? Three yep. girls. And uh, you help others to overcome self doubt, anxiety and depression. And you teach uh, others to become stronger than your pain. You are not alone. So uh, did I miss anything Is that the high high notes? <laughs>
1: I think that's the high note, man. Yeah, nailed it. Nice one. All right,
0: <laughs> outstanding. Well, with that, let's um, go into your background and kind of level set for our audience. Um, you know, all the things that you've been through and what led you to uh, have a passion for helping others today. So, uh, is it fair to start in your kind of teenage years with some of those struggles, as, or do you need to go further back?
1: Uh, no, I think that's. I think that's really where the struggles began. I, I think I will start uh, further back just to illustrate that. I had a great upbringing. I had and still have fantastic parents, wonderful siblings. I come from a family of uh, four boys. My dad had his first marriage. So I have two older brothers that are 11 and 13 years older than I am. Uh, They were Marines and and instilled a lot of that mentality in me, which I greatly appreciate. I tried to follow in their footsteps, but I've got I'm the asthmatic in the family. They wouldn't take me, you know, but uh, at least. That's it. Exactly, man. You know, they smack me around. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I come from a great background. I've got a great younger brother as well. That is a wonderful example to me of what it is to be a man. And I, the reason that I say that is because a lot of people that experience trauma in their lives had a a much rougher upbringing than I did. And my upbringing really, I thought was going to put me on a, a trajectory that I would say I'm more in line with now. And I think what what led to my demise in my teen years, and I'll get to that in a second, really was was on me. And that's what I teach, that's what I preach, and that's what I've recognized now having gone through it and looking backwards, right? Hindsight is 2020. Um, But I wanted to start with that because, man, I'm grateful for the upbringing that I had. And I, I didn't have a lot of struggles. I was given as many opportunities as anybody could. Uh, and yet I still experienced a suicidal depression, right? So it doesn't really matter where you come from, how good life is. It could always happen. We have to recognize that it's on us to prevent that, right? Um, so I'll start there. And if we if we jump to uh, my my grandmother, she moved out from Texas. Um, when I was roughly 10 years old, my dad did that. He is an amazing father, an amazing man, and a wonderful example to me of what it means to take care of the family. He moved his, his parents out from Texas so that he could take care of them. And I learned a lot about the importance of family through his example. When he married my mom, he told her straight up, this is a package deal, right? You get me, you get my, my family. And that comes with my two boys. That comes with my parents, as crazy as they may be. You get them if you want me. And so, again, a, a great example to me of, of what it meant to be a good father and, and man in general. Um, so we spent a lot of time with my, my grandparents. They lived in the town next to us. I grew up in Northern California in Pleasanton. They, they lived in Dublin, 10 minutes away. We spent every weekend with them and my grandmother and my grandfather. But for some reason, I, I attached to my grandmother a lot she was wonderful to me. I loved her so much, still do. And, um, she, for, for some reason, she just ingrained on me, you know, and, um, she was a really special person to me. And so between 10 and 16, I developed a really special relationship with her. And I remember we were playing at the house uh, in the backyard playing volleyball or something out in the backyard as family and friends. And she came over, we were having dinner and I saw a, uh, a bandaid on her shoulder. I asked her what it was and she said it was nothing. And in my naivety, I believed her and just went back to playing. Um, little did I know that it was a death sentence for her. It was stage four melanoma and her being 71, 72 at the time. She said, this is, I'm just going to let it run its course. And four months later, she passed away. Um, it, was, it was really quick. And I was in a very close physical proximity to her, you know, her being 10 minutes away. We saw her all the time. We were there for her. My parents supported her through her, you know, her, her passing. Um, and what I didn't recognize at the time was I was very emotionally, mentally, and spiritually close to her as well. That proximity, I think, is really what mattered yeah. uh, unbeknownst to me at the time. And my um my parents wanted to make sure that she had a very comfortable passing. And so they they brought her into our home and she passed in their bedroom for like the last week or so while she was on hospice. And I, while I grew up Catholic, you know, my my dad doesn't believe in anything uh, spiritually. My mom is, is very spiritual in the sense of energy and and all those things, which I respect. That's their beliefs. I have no problem with it. But for me, it wasn't what I needed. As I saw her passing, I started asking these questions of like, Oh my goodness, if somebody as wonderful as my grandmother that I love and adore could pass this painfully, what is left for me? What is, what is life going to be like for me? If somebody as wonderful as her is going to be tortured this way. Um, and I, and it's not like I necessarily believed in God at that time, but I got angry at God, man. I was so mad. How could you take my grandmother from me? How could you let this happen to somebody so wonderful? If you're real, you would not allow this. And it started a very negative thought process for me and it made me angry in my soul. And so I began to ask these questions if we're, if we're just going to die, what is the point? And I was, I was grasping for some semblance of control as she passed away. And the only thing that I could fathom, cause I was asking these questions of, you know, where do we come from? Why are we here? Where do we go after we die? And the answers I was getting from the people around me was Alex, we're just worm food, right? Like this is just life, man. Like you live, you die. That's just what happens. And look, I'm a man of faith now, and I recognize I don't have a knowledge. That could be true. I don't know. I don't believe that. But I recognize that some people do, and that's okay, and that's their thing. But for me, it was not the answer that I needed at at 16, trying to figure out what was the purpose of life. And as I couldn't find those answers, what I grasped for in, in control was if... The point is just to die. I can control the timeline of that. And so it led to a very suicidal depression, flirting with that line of death, trying to control, okay, you know what? I'm going to tempt the Reaper. I'm going to put this on, you know, in front of him. And eventually that led to putting blade to flesh and getting to that. Fortunately, I was walked in on by my girlfriend, who's now my wife that stopped me before I got anywhere close to finalizing the act. But, she came in and helped me clean up my arm and everything. When it got to that point of me getting ready to make the final decision. Um, And when, you know, when she walked in and I saw the look of horror on her face, it was, that was kind of the rock bottom for me of realizing like something has to change. Right. I I saw myself almost as an out of body experience from her perspective and I finally recognized that while I held no value for myself and this, none of this made sense to me. She saw value in me, right? She saw that I was worth something. And it was when I grasped that, it was like, Oh dude, I got to figure this out. I'm, I am way off. I have no idea what I'm doing. And that was kind of the turning point for me of, I need to fix myself.
0: Right. Right? Cause how, how old were you
1: when that happened? So my grandmother passed when I was 16, I was Going through that suicidal depression for a few years, my wife and I, high school sweethearts, we started dating uh, our senior year in high school. So I was 18. Um, so she, yeah, it was probably two years later after this that started. I
0: was about 18. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's pretty young to be. Yeah. Considering um, that. Yeah. 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 Uh,
1: you know, and that's something that I would I would just tell young men and women, right? Being a girl dad, I want to include them, but, you know, mm-hmm. give these things time. Right. Like yeah. you, you can't have it all figured out at that age. I'm 33 now and I'm nowhere near having it all figured out, let alone at 18. Yeah. You know,
2: right. Give when, it time. when you had the trauma of losing your grandmother, did you feel alone? Like you were suffering alone? Like there was almost a sense of nihilism from, from what you explained. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I
1: think that that was part of it. Um, everybody else was fine. You know, I, I looked around and I couldn't wrap my head around it. And I looked Mm -hmm. at my dad who just lost his mom and, you know, him being a stronger man than I am moved on just fine. And he was okay with that. Right. He just recognized it was part of life. My younger brother moved on just fine. He was hurting, but he was okay. My older brothers, same thing. Everybody Mm -hmm. seemed to be okay with it. And as I looked around, I just thought, how can everybody be okay with this? And so as I, as I told people like, Hey, I'm struggling with this. And they would say, you know why it's just part of life. It's okay. I just so like dismissive.
0: Alone. They were yeah. very dismissive really. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And even if they weren't, which I don't think that they were, I took it that way right? because I, I was in so much pain that I, you know, Brandon to your, your question, I did feel alone. I, which then led me to further isolate myself and turn from people. Nobody understands right. me. So I'm not even going to bring it up. Right, it's an
2: existential right. crisis, and I have to face it alone.
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It keeps if Nobody's going to understand me, then I'm not going to bring it up anymore. I'm I can just, just deal with it myself. Process. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I think that same loop right there that you just described that happens to so many people, regardless of how old you are. Um, yeah, and, and, and I, would I mean, say regardless that's,
1: of that situation.
0: Yeah, that. I mean, I, that's that's the scary thing about it is. Like you said, you isolate, oh, no one's going to understand me. And you just keep telling yourself the story that's completely not true. And I'm really, I'm really thankful that you had that kind of almost outer body experience where you saw it from, you know, at the time, your girlfriend, your wife's point of view of clearly she valued you and Mm -hmm. it kind of snapped you from that. But, you know, not everyone is that fortunate to kind of have that experience. So I guess from, from there, then you said that was your rock bottom. What was the turning point? Like what, what did getting better look like for you?
1: yeah uh it's always hard when you realize how far down you've fallen right and i'm I'm a big believer in everything is on you as the individual right the extreme ownership it's your responsibility it's within your control and therefore it is your responsibility and so first it 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 took me realizing like dude you are a mess, like you are you're a burden right now. Like you are hurting not just yourself, but people around you. Like forget about yourself for a second and just recognize the pain that you're causing your family, the pain that you just instilled in your girlfriend, like recognize you got a problem. And by the way, suicide, not going to solve it, going to make it worse. And it, it took that kind of recognition for me to say, okay, pivot point, right? uh the, the 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 mentality that you have that causes the problem is not the same mentality that you need to solve the problem. So change the mentality. And that ultimately led to me trying to look around and see, okay, what does this mean? What does being a good person look like? Who are some people that I admire uh, that I could turn to and say, I want to be like that person? How does that person? Did how did they become that person? What makes them good? What kind of characteristics do they embody? What virtues do they have? What are what does their moral compass look like? And you know that wasn't my parents at the time, although it probably should have been. But being eighteen, I was rebellious, and you know I I pushed against them right as every eighteen year old does. Let alone the one who had run away from home for a couple of months. uh, You know before he tried to kill himself. Like I didn't look to my parents, and one of the the big people that I looked to, of course, was my girlfriend, who was very strong in her faith, and so that was kind of the first thing that I turned to. Was I started studying the faith that she was a part of? You know, Christ. I was familiar with him, um, so I I leaned into that. I I looked into Buddhism. I looked into different philosophies and started studying those things to see, hey, what does this all mean? right? Like let's read the scriptures. Let's, let's study stoicism. Let's look at samurai Bushido code. Let's look at what it means to be a good man across the board and just start soaking things in. I, I had to stop looking inward at all the pain I was experiencing. And I, and I had to turn it outward and say, what is everybody else doing? Cause obviously I'm doing it wrong. And it was months of study. I mean, I, like you, Brandon, you said that you're you're a constant learner. I am too. I wake up every morning and I continue to study because I recognize that if I stop moving forward, I will resort back to my default and I do not like my default setting. (laughs) And so that, that process of exploration, philosophical and spiritual exploration is really what led me to recognize that, Hey, Alex, even if you don't feel like you have any value personally, there's a larger power out there that thinks you do right. That, that holds you in very high regard. And the people that had the belief in that higher power also recognize your potential. So if if you don't feel like you're worthy enough to live up to your own standards, recognize where they see you and aim for their perspective. And while I don't think that that is necessarily the end-all, be-all approach to self-help, self-actualization, self-mastery, we cannot borrow other people's perspectives of us in the long term... It is a great short-term tool to get yourself out of a rut. How do other people see me? What value do I bring to other people? What potential do they see in me? How can I grasp that perspective? And then how can I create a plan to live up to it? And that's really what it came down to. I hated myself, but other people loved me. And I needed to understand why, what they saw in me, and how I could start working towards that. And that's really what helped me turn a corner.
2: Mm, that's so deep. I love that. I, I feel like death has such a finality, especially when it's a loved one, and you don't understand the gravity of that until you see it firsthand. And I feel like we're all canvases with plastic protective covering, and when we we experience that finality face to face, it's like that plastic stripped off, and now we can paint, right? And so in my own life i I dealt with that with my grandmother as well and it was like such an existential crisis for me as well and i did a lot of soul searching for the next four or five years and it was tough man and i realized that if i didn't fix that trauma when i had kids that was going to be their battle and i wasn't going to allow that to happen and so i i can relate to that so much man there there's so much gravity to that but I love that you you are externalizing towards what other people and how other people treated you, because. I look at it now with kids. How do I treat my children? I should treat myself to that same standard. Right. That's good. You know, a lot of people don't do that and they're harsh and they're self-critical. And there's these negative thought loops that just continuously happen. And it's like, treat yourself, love yourself the way you love your children.
0: Because if you don't, that pours out on them, right? All that negativity All right. is going to spill All out. Right. So that that actually segues really good talking about kids. So fast forward now, Alex. You've done a lot of work, obviously, being a father now. Uh, you said your oldest is five. Is that correct? Correct. I've been a dad for about five years now. Uh, so you're like what twenty seven, twenty eight when when that happened? So how yeah. if you know how has becoming a father changed your mindset or changed your understanding of trauma and the importance of um you know, doing the work to, to heal and to move past it.
1: Yeah. I mean, Brandon said it perfectly. Uh, so quick answer, ditto, Brandon, um, we could move on from there, but if, you know, diving deeper, um, I recognized that my pain needed to be used purposefully. And if I didn't, I would, take that out on my kids unknowingly and being a father i teach my kids life is hard like the there is inevitable pain that is going to come you cannot avoid it suffering on the other hand is a decision because suffering is the resistance against reality It's fighting that this shouldn't be happening to we to me. Why me? Why is this happening? That is where suffering comes from. And that is what I experienced when my grandmother passed away. And as I I had kids and I started to recognize, oh man, I need to, what would I teach them if I saw them going through this situation? Right. I pulled, pulled myself out and become what I call a subjective spectator, right? Put myself in that third party perspective and say, Alex, how would you in a third party teach your children? to get through this. It's like, man, I would have approached it totally different had I had that perspective. And now I get the opportunity to do that again, to help them recognize life is not sunshine and rainbows. As much as my kids love rainbows, it is not filled with that. Like life, life is hard and it is purposefully that way so that we can learn these lessons. And we need, we need to change that perspective and reframe to say, rather than "why me," try me, right? I can handle this, and this—that's where the stronger than your pain comes from, right? And, and you know, it's funny that the way that that came to be was my five-year-old was running the house, running around the house. She banged her knee, and you know, we were kind of like, "Okay, let's do our breathing exercises. Let's slow things down." And it just kind of came out, "Sweetie, you're stronger than your pain. It's okay." And I was like, "Whoa, I'm holding on to that." and Because it is so much more than just that physical act. It's the spiritual, mental, emotional, stronger than your pain. And I wish I had recognized that back then. So now, in a very long-winded answer, you'll find I'm I'm a long-winded kind of guy. Um, I had the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No 90-second reel on Instagram. You
3: you should see George and I when we get passionate about something. Cool, man. Yeah, we'll just we'll dive in. It'll
0: probably happen later. (laughs) Good. I look
1: forward to it. Um, I didn't mean to throw you off. No, 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 you're good. Um, re- having kids really allowed me to say Alex redo, right? Like yeah, you your kids are going to experience a lot of the similar things. If you look at common humanity, we're not that different. Yes, our experiences may be different, but the underlying pain and trauma that we all experience is the same. So, even as 3 to 4 or 5 years old, teach them how to handle it. Help them with that reframe, give them that perspective and allow them to say, yes, this hurts and recognize your feelings, but don't let them dictate, right? You're the one in charge, right? Feel them. I love the saying, uh, and I'll, I'll PG it, feel your shiz, acknowledge your shiz, but don't lose your shiz, right? Like I lost mine for years and I lost myself in it. And like, even when my kids bang their toes now, it's like, Hey, feel it, acknowledge it, recognize it's hurt but don't go screaming and throwing punches and getting even more angry simply because you're in a little bit of pain. Don't make it worse. Like I did. Right. So now I have the opportunity to shift that. And it's all because of kids. It really is. Fatherhood yeah. is, is the hardest, but but most beautiful thing in my life. It's pretty amazing being a dad. I, I think, uh, so
3: growing up, you don't really pay attention, but you know, as you get older, and especially when you become a parent, you realize how important mentors and, just life lessons are. And then like, just like now, even like the smallest thing, like Bluey, I'm watching it the other day and, and bandits like talking to, to Bluey and he's like, it's a good thing. You're tough. And it, yep. he, he keeps, you know, banging it home. It's a good thing. You're tough. And, and Bluey's like, it's a good thing. I'm tough. You know? And like, that's like what you said earlier, when you have your own like mantras or the things that you, you believe in and, and you want to practice for the children, eventually like it just becomes natural for not only for you, but for them. Yeah. And uh, it, it was, it was funny. We were having this conversation, my wife and I the other night, we were watching Ted Lasso. I'm a huge fan of that show. Classic. Oh yeah. Oh God. So good. Jason Sudeikis. It's perfect. Yep. But uh, he said in that a good mentor hopes you move on. A great mentor knows you will. And I think that can be perceived for a lot of different things like pain and anger and frustrations and traumas and things like that. And so I, that's just something I wanted to share was just like, mentorship and and you know just the little things that you you come across in your life we get to be that that person that teaches our children that and instill that in them and i it is the coolest thing uh you don't you don't really realize it until you're there and you're actually doing it you're like wow all right i get to hold the reins now you know i get to change things like brandon said i need to i want to break this you know generational thing or i want to break you Mm know these problems i had growing up so
2: I, i think I think that's why it makes it so important to teach them the greatest source of hope, right? Um, Like I teach my children about Christ, and about God, and it's like that's where they're going to get their hope. And when things get tough and they look back and they realize that was God preparing me for this moment and that was God preparing me for this. But that was also God letting me know, hey, I got you and this is where I had you. And this is where so you can here. use
0: that for someone else yeah you know
2: and so sometimes we suffer so that we can be the light and the help and the lamp for others and I suffered immensely in my teenage years uh, through a lot of loss and a lot of um a lot of friends who commit suicide but it um, it really helped me prepare my children and my my wife for depression and for for uh tough, tough times in life. Right. And so, and it makes it so much more beautiful. It's so strange. Like, I don't know, you get to think so much more deeply. And so you're so much more involved in everything because you know that you're all in, in this life. So.
1: I think that's beautiful, man. I think that that is absolutely one of the things that I try and teach my kids now. And honestly, that, that saved me was that there is purpose in your pain. And I am a huge believer, proponent of we are spiritual beings experiencing a physical lifestyle, right? And one of the things that I resort back to was, you know, when I, when my grandmother passed away, and I was so angry at God, right, or whatever that power was, because back then I didn't necessarily believe in God, right? So universe, life itself, whatever, I was angry, not recognizing that. I needed this trial to create me into the man that I am. And and now being, you know, a, a you know, man of faith in Jesus and all that, I look at what he went through for us. And part of the perspective that I maintain, and I don't mean to make this a sermon on the mount, so redirect me if you want. But if I'm to relate to him at all. Shouldn't I have to experience just a little bit of trauma and a little bit of pain myself? Otherwise, how would I have any appreciation for what he went through? And as I keep that in mind, you know, the, uh, the quote by Epictetus, which has kind of been my quote for 2023. If it's endurable, if it's endurable, endure it, stop complaining. comes to mind. It's like, man, he went through so much for me. I can handle this. Like, this is fine. Yeah. Right. Just to be able to relate to him. And then, I take that perspective to us men, right? If I didn't have any pain, if life was all sunshine, rainbows, unicorns, and you came to me and said, Alex, I'm having a tough time. I'd be like, I don't know how to help you, dude. Exactly. Like my life is fantastic. And I don't think that that is the purpose. Right. I don't think that that is how we bond. I mean, especially us as men, we bond through trials. We don't sit around the table and talk and and emote, you know, as sometimes we need to, we we need to emote sometimes and that's okay. But we, we bond through, Hey man, I'm going through a tough time. And you're like, dude, me too. Nice. Like let's embrace the suck together. And we grow from it because we're solution driven animals. That's yeah. what we seek after. We had, so we, had a guest, we had a guest, we
0: had a guest earlier, make a really great distinction. You know, men don't do face to face. We do this. Shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder. We need something to work towards together. And that's, that's how we bond. And that's, and, and, but to your point too, if you've never experienced anything, if you've never had any hardship, how can you have empathy? Because empathy is feeling the same thing that they're feeling. It's putting, it's getting down in the pit with that person and not saying, Oh, just get out of it. Or here's a ladder. It's, it's sitting in there with them for a little bit and then helping them realize, Hey, I've got a ladder. We can leave, you know? Um, yeah, sympathy is just yelling down at the person. Oh, that's terrible, and then walking away from the the pit. You know, so it's a yeah. uh, it's an interesting distinction between the two. I think most people in our culture today think that sympathy is empathy, and there's a big difference. You you need to be able to find that common ground with a similar experience that you've had to that exact pain that that person's feeling, and theirs may be a lot worse, but you can respect what it is that they're feeling and try and put yourself in that position. Um, And depending on the severity of the situation, you know, (laughs) be the right level of, uh, you know, because sometimes they just need you to sit there with them and say nothing. Right. Loss of a loved one. That's kind of that situation arm around them. Just sit there. Maybe if it's a smaller thing, there's a little bit of coaching involved or whatever. Right. But if you've never experienced anything, you can't match the situation.
1: Yeah. I love the way that, that Brene Brown differentiates sympathy versus empathy because I think empathy is a superpower. And, you know, in my purpose that I have written on my board and then I resort back to, I make sure that I include that empathy because man, we need it. And Brene Brown differentiates sympathy as kind of like, oh, that's really hard. But it could have been worse. You know, I don't know why you're complaining.
0: It's dismissive.
1: It it is. Yeah. It's absolutely dismissive. Whereas empathy is is very involved right and it's 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 filled with love and i think that that is the superpower that we need to use more it's just like man i may not have the answer for you but i can share in your pain and let you know right. you're not alone and i promise you i'll help you figure this out as long as it takes
0: yeah i, I butchered the example but i got it from bernie brown on like like oh, of her perfect example yeah. so yeah i was
1: no i think it's great because you're right yeah. looking down in the hole it's like Build a ladder, stupid. Get it, get yourself yep. out. You'll be fine. You
0: know? And I'll, I'll say this too, is I, I'm someone who's like really never, ever struggled with depression a couple months ago, man. I get it now. Like, it's not, it's not a choice. Like I just woke up. <sighs> I, I, I was completely blindsided and, um, and I can't even like find words to, to say to my wife. Like, she's like, what's wrong? You know? Cause she was like freaking out a little bit too. Like, whoa, this is not like him. um, I get, I get it now. Like so much, I have so much more empathy now for people who are just like struggling for real because you don't really have control over it in the moment. And, and so that whole thing of like, well, here's the ladder, just crawl right out. They would just look at the ladder anyway and be like, oh, I just can't right now. You know what I mean? It's yeah. I gained a level of understanding for it and, and, uh, empathy <laughs> for it. Um, just totally shocked me out of nowhere. So like, I, I think, a lot of people's natural reaction is to be like, oh, we'll just get over it because they think they're kind of faking or something. And I'm sure that people yeah. abuse it to get pills or whatever else, but that's probably the minority, uh, not the not the majority of people who are actually struggling. Brandon, no. go ahead. I-, I can tell you that
2: the more empathetic somebody is, that is an immediate telltale to me that that person has experienced more trauma and uh, more suffering in their life than most. Like The more empathy they, they express... The more I know, they've been through trauma, and that's almost an immediate sign for me um, when I'm talking to anybody, whether they're somebody I've known for ages or somebody that's that's new. And I'm a highly, highly empathetic person because I was a very strong people people pleaser when I was young, and you know, being ADHD and getting yelled at, and you know, you you learn to read people's behaviors and emotions, and then you adhere and keep yourself safe within those people's lack of emotion, right? Or lack of control of emotion. And so, uh, yeah, empathy is a huge one for me, but my question, um, for you, Alex, is what are some common signs, um, or behaviors that you see that indicate a person might be grappling with, um, like depression, self-doubt, uh, those kind of things.
1: Yeah. I think one of the big ones is, uh, is forced isolation, Right. And, and having the perspective of, I, I just don't want to share. You won't understand me, right? You won't get it. It's like, yeah, try me. You know, I, I think I've been there before. Um, I think that that's a behavioral pattern that that we can recognize is they start pulling away. They don't, they stop showing up. They stop communicating. Um, I think a big one that I recognize in myself as well as those that I'm, I'm close with is a shift in energy. Um and i'm not necessarily talking like spiritual energy which i do believe happens but i'm talking like it's hard to get out of bed like george you mentioned like i just woke up and i was like oh man i just i'm lethargic i have brain fog i don't motivation is not enough to to keep you moving and so recognizing if you're somebody that loves going to the gym and your behavior shifts to like i just i don't know man i just don't want to it's like oh that's a red flag like let, if you if you stop liking the things that you typically like doing. Let's let's dig into that a little bit, and let's recognize that maybe not as a red flag, but a yellow at least, and say, hmm, what, where do you think this is coming from? Why do you think you're experiencing that? I think that those are some of the early telltale signs that mm. we can begin to recognize before they turn red. Um, and mm. I, I know you guys have some questions, and I wanted to to share one thing in regards to depression, especially on the red flag piece. You know when, when you are going through that depression, I I like to imagine it this way: you are sitting in a really dark room by yourself, door closed. And a lot of people think if you just throw the door open, you grab the person, you pull them out into the light, that all of a sudden they're going to feel better. But you don't realize that when you've been sitting in that dark room for a long time, that light actually hurts. It's blinding. You you don't want to see it anymore because it it's just too much. Too fast. And so when you're sitting in that dark room, the way that people need to handle that is slowly crack the door open. Don't bring a flashlight, bring a candle. Let that little bit of light acclimate you to what the light is outside. Then slowly guide that person to the door. Let them open that door and let the rest of that light in. Because if you throw that door open and the light's going to blind them again, they're going to resort back into that darkness. Right. So when we're going through these things, and George, to your point, your wife's like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? Like, I, he's never been this way. Let me throw the door open and ha- let's go out and do all the things that he loves to I do. I mean, she was right, pretty well-reserved,
0: but I think she was like – she knew something was wrong for real. Yeah, because like, I, 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 I
1: know that my wife will do that. She's like, Alex, let's go do all the – what do you need? What, let, let's go do all the things you love. Yeah. I'm like – you no, know, She what? wasn't
0: trying to fix – she gave me my space that I needed and stuff, but she's – That's awesome. She's, she's, we've done a lot of work on this kind of thing, but <clears> – <throat> That's awesome. I think she was pretty concerned because – yeah. And rightfully so. She was, she was like, I've never seen you like this. You know. Yeah. So she did kind of come back change. hours later and was like, I mean, do you need some help? And I was just like, I don't yeah. – yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. Well, and, I, I don't, I'm, I'm just no, trying to give her no credit. She, she handled yes. the situation extremely well. <laughs> That's all <laughs> so credit, credit. I was not deal. handling it well. Yeah. Well, the, the way I've always
3: kind of – so for those of us who have struggled with depression our whole lives, I'm, I'm definitely mm-hmm. one of them. I've always kind of felt of it. I felt it as kind of like the tide. It comes and goes. And to your point with the light and the darkness, it can also be one of those things where, you know, it can either drown you or it can leave you high and dry, you know, it it doesn't matter where you're at, you're still feeling the way you feel and not a lot in the environment and not a lot outside of anything can really change that other than just you taking yourself out of that situation or out of that environment on your own time and on, like you said, your own free will and, and at your own pace. And like you said, sometimes people like to just try to throw you that that buoy or that lifeline and pull you right out of that water. But that's just not how it works. And 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 honestly, to touch what Brandon was saying, the the empathy thing. Excuse me. Um, to those who aren't empathetic about it, when they try to just tell you like, "Oh, just be a man," or "Just suck it up," or "Do this," that makes it ten times worse. If anything, that it actually does. creates that creates anger and it creates resentment towards those people and. And that's something else we bury. If, if you're, if you're a person who's depressed, you bury your feelings more mm-hmm. than likely. Uh, so you'll bury rage, you'll bury anger. And, um, I, the only thing that I found personally for me that has really pulled me out of that is music. Uh, I love to get yeah. lost in music, especially like NF, somebody who's oh, been yeah. through something. Oh God, his story. I listen to his music and hit the story about his mother and hit the mansion mm-hmm. and him being stuck in his own mind. And it's like, I thought I had some problems. <laughs> They're nothing, man. Like, you know, and then we've had some fathers come on here with some some pretty crazy stories and, and harsh realities. And you start to, to find gratitude. Now, I've said this before on the podcast, but I feel like gratitude is the number one way out of depression. When you realize that you only have the one life and all the people and things around you are absolutely incredibly amazing and you really truly embrace that that's when you're like okay i may be depressed but i have an awesome wife i have an amazing son i have a nice house i have a nice car or, you know whatever makes you happy whatever fulfills you in life i have a great job and and i i think it comes down to what um, gary v has said he said gratitude is the attitude man and and that's that's, that's it. it gratitude really is about the only thing that in music that can kind of help you to to get out of that place so, just wanted to share that
1: yeah in podcast like gratitude that's it like all right guys it was great we're that's it <laughs> all <laughs> all
3: right, good night.
0: That's so true yeah good yeah. night thanks yeah. Keep on and dance. <laughs> so i uh i want to make a, a couple points as well alex um and kind of maybe we'll do one at a time i'd like you to respond and then come back so rapid fire here a sure. little bit so number yeah, one please. um you're talking about red flags and things like that so for those mm-hmm. who may be listening and may not be aware of this um If someone is struggling with suicide ideations or contemplating actually going through with it, you cannot put the idea in their head. So Mm -hmm. you asking, hey, are you thinking about killing yourself is not going to make them go do it. In fact, that's actually going to probably stop them from doing it because they go, oh my gosh, they get it, you know. Um, So I've actually done quite a bit of training. Uh, I was I actually did a suicide like intervention training class through the military when I was active duty. It was. That's extremely eye-opening, really, really good course that I did, but, um, I've actually had to use that for real, thankfully that I was able to kind of intervene, um, ask the hard questions. Like if you were, you know, so Alex is kind of talking about some things, you know, if someone is not doing the things that they typically enjoy or they're acting a little off, you need to ask those hard questions as scary as that may be. Um, because if you don't, they may go through with their plan or they may progress their plan. Um, and that's how it works. And it seems kind of counterintuitive because, like, oh, well, you know, I'm planting that seed. It doesn't work that way. They've probably mm-hmm. already planted the seed themselves anyway. And uh, by you directly intervening, directly calling out what's really going on in a loving, caring way, will at least start the conversation for them to be open to not doing it. Because otherwise, that door stays shut. So. Have you experienced that or have you learned that in, in all of, of your work, Alex, or anything you want to add that I maybe didn't miss? Because I think that's a pretty big distinction that a lot of people don't realize. I think, you know, in in my
1: research and studies around suicide, that's exactly it, right? The, the, you had asked a question in preparation for this podcast, you know, what is the thoughts, words, actions all the way to destiny? And I, I want to dive into that. That's what I call the mastery cycle. Long story short, thoughts. Lead to your destiny. If you are not taking charge of those thoughts, if you are not verbalizing those thoughts with positive words to gain control of them, to then lead to positive actions, those thoughts will dictate your destiny. And that is where I find myself. My thoughts were so negative, they led to the negative outcome because I felt nobody understood me. And when I did share those things, I felt as if I was being pushed back into a corner because nobody could relate to me. Everybody thought I was crazy. So I stopped sharing those thoughts. That isolation then allowed me to further my plan. And so George, to your point, we need to ask those hard questions. We absolutely do because we need to stop and interfere that negative thought process. And we need them to verbalize it because oftentimes what makes sense in our heads as we verbalize it out loud, does not make any sense. And we're like, oh man, I can't believe that I actually thought that. Like I say it out loud and I hear myself say it, it doesn't sound as good as I thought it did. And so being able to, again, going back to the empathy, hey man, what's going on? Are you having these thoughts? Because I've been there before. You're not alone. If you are, let's talk about it. Let's let's interject ourselves in between and try and grab some control of those thoughts and recognize it's probably not gonna play out. Like you think it will, yeah. And so, interfering with that that thought process allows you to grab more of the control, and recognize that Ooh, this this is not the way that I I thought that this was going to go. So you're spot on. That is the exact same thing that I have seen in my research and my studies. Is you got to get ahead of it. Don't don't be afraid yeah. to have the conversation. Right.
2: Yeah. And Alan Alan Watts talks about that so eloquently. He talked about a person who thinks all the time. They have nothing to think about except for thoughts. And so he Mm -hmm. loses touch with reality and he lives in a world of illusions and like everything else it's useful in moderation. It's a good servant, but it's a bad master. Mm -hmm. And so we have to not be people who are slaves to our own thought processes and our overanalyzation. And I was a victim of uh, overanalyzation. And and sometimes I still am. Um, But it's great. And I, I want to specify this point with the suicide um, ideation. So there's a difference between ideation and intent. If somebody's mm-hmm. expressing intent, you are absolutely going to have to
0: intercede immediately. Yeah, Im- it means imminent. Yeah. Yes, they're going to do means it. They've
2: planned, it's in their head, they're going to do it. Whereas if they have ideation. The means, yeah. Ideation is more of the yellow flag to the red flag, right. right? Like you were saying earlier. And so ideation means that that person is struggling. They need help. They need the empathy. They need the the, the support, uh, whatever they kind of inner intervening that, that you can give them. Um, but yeah, intent is a, is a whole nother animal. That's, that's, you really got to intercede for that person. Yeah. So
0: that's where you like, you call them on the phone. If they don't answer, you call uh, like a health and welfare check on their house. Like you have, yeah, you go company. over. Yeah. yeah. You got to go overboard in that moment. Cause yeah. That's yeah. like if you, so I have a real world example. I'm gonna keep it anonymous to protect the innocent, but you know, got a message, hey I love you, uh, goodbye or something. It was super abrupt like yeah. that. And it was like, whoa, okay. Dial, 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 like twenty times till they picked up the phone. Finally they picked up the phone. It was like, I don't know what you're thinking or what you're gonna do, but don't do it. Don't hang up the phone. You have to be like that abrupt about it if it's to the point of intent. So We could probably do a whole episode on just that topic. I don't want to get too bogged down on that because I know, Alex, you have a whole bunch of other things I want to get to um, that you have expertise on. But the other quick little point I wanted to make about empathy is I think it's arguably the most important thing you need to learn as a father. Um, Mm -hmm. I naturally am not good at empathy. That was not a strong suit for George uh, going into marriage and then becoming a dad. Um, But man, working on empathy and, and growing that muscle the empathy muscle uh, has been probably the most valuable tool in terms of just having genuine connection with both my wife and my daughter. And um, you know I just can't stress that enough for all the dads out there that just because you have the authority over your family and you're the head of the household and stuff doesn't mean you're a tyrant. And empathy is kind of that bridge between I'm in charge and I'm like leading us and everything, but I'm also you know, Hey, my five-year-old child, <laughs> you skinned your knee. Like I can remember what it was like to, you know what I mean? It's, it's pulling yourself out of that position as head and leader or whatever. And, and being there in the moment. So, um, just if that's a weak point for you listening, take that to heart. Uh, hopefully this helps you realize how important it is, but it's a, it's a, it's a tool that you will use the rest of your life anyway, with everyone that you interact with and it's probably the least i would say the most underrated skill um especially for men you know we we Thank hone you. in on other especially things for i think for men uh mastering empathy or at least getting pretty good at it is like a superpower because it's just naturally what people don't expect from men if you're able to do it it really is a very versatile thing that you can apply to a lot of situations so yeah well, tie I, that in there with the fatherhood thing.
3: I, well, I was going to say for, for anybody who's going through it and and they have, they're close to intent. I mean, you feel the panic of that just infinite darkness and depth and you just feel like there's no way out. There's two things you need to remember. You need to remember to take the words that you're saying about yourself and and turn it like the opposite, like you were saying, Alex. But you need to remember the word temporary. Uh, there was a study done on suicidal uh, patients that I read one time, and it stated that anybody who thinks the word "temporary" in a black part of their brain, and you see a white word that says "temporary," it automatically triggers your brain to like kind of do a hard reset and stop and think, "This is temporary." It automatically makes you think, "This is temporary," and if you just remember that, "This too shall pass," you know, if if you're if you're religious, you just need to remember, like. Everything is temporary. Ten years down the road, your life, one month down the road, your life can be completely different. And there always is a way out. So I just want to offer that hope for those who feel like there's not a way out. And it could be a situation with a, uh, a, a divorce. You know, it could be a situation with a, a baby's mom trying to take your children. I mean, there's, there's so many endless circumstances that can literally put you in that depth. But you got to remember, there's always a way out of it, and it's only temporary. So that's just something I wanted to offer there.
0: All right, Alex, Amen, closing, closing thoughts on this topic, and I want to move on to kind of your program and all the different elements.
1: I, you know, I think it's a good segue because my next question would be, okay, we, we've recognized all the problems. Now, how do you right. face them?
0: Exactly. Right? Okay. Perfect. Oh. <laughs> so if you're ready for that, uh, so no, I know you, no. you. On your website, you talk about the power of fitness the power of nutrition and the power of mindfulness. So let's mm-hmm. start with mindfulness. I think it's probably the best segue here. Um, and I think that leads in also to your, how thoughts lead to destiny. So um, yeah. How do, how do you define mindfulness, I guess, to level set?
1: Yeah, you know, you had asked me that in, in your email and I was like, ooh, that's a good, that's a really good question. Because, you know, you could look at the, de- the definition in a dictionary, but everybody kind of has their own perspective, right? And if I were to, try and put one word around mindfulness it would be present and then again we if i try and reverse engineer okay what allows you to then be present i think that you know there's a lot of things that go into it but one of the things that going off of the pillars of you know the fitness and nutrition and everything else that goes into that one of the quotes that i had heard that really stuck with me was that if you want to be present you have to be proud of your presence so if you want to be in the moment, if you want to be in tune with the people that you're with, if you want to be attentive to your children, if you want to be mindful of your wife, you have to be proud of who you are, or else you're going to be thinking about all the things that you're not good at. You're going to be thinking that everybody, you're going to be projecting everybody else's image of you, in sec- your insecurities. This person is thinking this of me. There's another great quote of I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. There is nothing about that that is present, right? That is so lost in your mind and it pulls you away from being present. And I think if we're to be truly mindful, we have to be present, which takes a lot of work to be proud of your presence, to say, I am a good man, And therefore, I'm okay with who I am in this situation. I trust myself enough to handle this. I know when I'm going to need to offer a solution versus when I'm just going to need to be empathetic. right? So being mindful, you have to be so situationally aware, so personally aware, so self-aware. You have to be grounded in the present. So I know it's kind of a long-winded answer, but present. That was really good, man. I like that.
0: (laughs) Like it, wow. Obviously we're a little biased to the word present, uh, yes, the name of the right. podcast, but I figured, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is great, man. Uh, I go with this." <laughs> that's it, man. I, I agree. Uh, it, it's about, for me, mindfulness is maybe it's some disciplines. Maybe it's things you do on a daily basis that draw you out of everything that isn't real and honing in mm-hmm. on what really I can control, what really matters. Right. Of course, there's things that matter, but do they really, you know what I mean? They're, they're temporary things. Um, and kind of honing in on, you know, your life's mission and purpose. And, you know, if you're a dad, that should be including your raising your kids and things like that. Yep. So, um, and then one quick point too to Rob from uh, James Clear, you know, you talked about motivation mm. earlier. It's not enough to rely on, well, you don't rise to your motivation, you fall to your systems. So yep. I would assume that you have some systems in place that you personally have used and, Probably recommend to uh, the people you work with about mindfulness. So, what what is a little yes. sneak peek of that?
1: Yeah. So that uh, that kind of is the the segue of like, okay, that's what it is. Now, how do you achieve that? Right. So I'm a I'm a big fan of breaking words down to their root, looking at the etymology of where things come from. And again, if we go back to the, if you are to be present, you have to be proud of your presence. One word that would then encapsulate that is confident. How do you gain self-confidence, right? Because how do you overcome self-doubt? The the opposite of that is going to be self-confident. If you break down confidence, it's extreme trust or reliability in something. So as you look at self-confident, you have that extreme trust and reliability in yourself to be able to face what is in front of you, which again, allows you to be present. You're not thinking about how you're going to handle something that doesn't matter right now. You're dealing with what's in front of you. So. Okay, now we have to ask, how do we gain that self-confidence? And that's going to come down to doing the things that you say you're going to do. So let's, you know, just keeping this on what it is to be a good father, a good husband, a good man. And we can get into fitness and nutrition and all those things too. But we have to have things that we do on a daily basis that help us work towards the outcome of being a good dad. And you as the dad have to define that yourself. But we can paint with a broad brush, right? We are going to be empathetic. We're going to be patient. We're going to be loving. We're going to be service oriented. We have to have that definition that we can then reverse engineer and work backwards from. So I am a huge proponent of having a tracker. Make sure that you know your daily activities that are going to get you to that goal to build confidence in yourself. Because as somebody who deals with depression, and for those of you who are listening that deal with depression, Again, motivation is not going to be enough. So if you don't track your progress into something, how are you going to trust that you're doing what you say you're going to do, right? Especially when you're in a rut. So I use a tracker every day and I'll, I'll, you know, my things that I do just in the morning to make sure that I square myself off on being a good husband, being a good father, the foundation of being a good man to me is I study my philosophy and scriptures every morning I journal every morning. I meditate every morning. And part of of what that looks like, my journaling, is I, I do what's called virtue journaling. I lay out how I identify my energy, my work, my love. I define the virtues that I want to embody within those things. And then I define my action for that day. And keeping it oriented on husband and father, when I get down to love, my my identification that I use for that is eternal companion. I then go through and I write out all the virtues that I want to embody as that man. I want love. I want empathy. I want patience. I want purpose. I want persistence. I want dedication. I want to be kind. I want to be faithful. I want to be filled with hope. And then I go through and I define what are the actions that I'm going to do for my wife and each one of my kids. And I track it. And I can see it on my daily. Did I do it? Did I do it? Did I do it? Because that then, even if I'm emotionally in a rough spot. I can look at my tracker and say, Alex, you may not feel like you're doing a good job, but statistically you're doing all the things that you know you need to do to get you to the outcome of being the good man that you have defined because the outcome needs to be an organic byproduct of the process. And so I can define those things. I can then track it and be like, Hey, you know what, Alex, you're doing it every day. So don't necessarily give in your feelings because a lot of the times our feelings are liars, right? If you are going through and you are recording and you're doing all the things that you know you need to do to be a good man, give yourself some grace, give yourself some credit, have have a little bit of empathy towards yourself and then and trust, going, the to trust the process. The trust the process. And so over time, we begin to gain the confidence in ourselves of these are the yeah. things I know I, I told myself I need to do. I'm doing them on a daily basis. I can see that. I do those things in the morning and then I reflect on them at night. Hey, did I live up to the empathy, the kindness, the patience? Did I do the love languages for each one of my kids? Did I, did I play with him? Was I kind, those things. So as we track those things, it's like using a GPS towards our outcome, right? We can, we can see where that's going. Otherwise you're wandering. Yep. And it's, it's really hard to keep yourself on path when you're wandering. It is straight and narrow. It's hard to stay on. Right. Yep. So, sorry, that was a very long winded answer, but that I think, is one of the the things that I teach and the tools that I use to help people become confident in themselves, to be present in the moment through gaining confidence in their abilities to not have to deal with anything that's not right, right
0: here. But if you're tracking to you can look back and recognize all the all the wins over time, right? If if you're not ever recording it, it's really easy to remember the negatives. We do a really bad job of reminding the positives, right? Um, so if you're if you're marking those down on a consistent basis, you're reminding yourself of all the good that's occurred too. And again, that plays into changing your mindset moving forward. Um, do you also use backwards planning? Have you heard of that term for kind of more long range type of objectives and goals for yourself? Yeah. Where so you you I kind of go never... to the end state, and then you work back from everything that has to occur to get to that point.
1: Yes. And that's, have you read the book? The one thing
0: I've not. No. Oh man.
1: It's like my number one book that I would recommend for goal setting you know, habits is atomic habits. And the one yeah. thing is, is the same thing, right? Like, Hey, this is the man I want to be in 10 years. Describe what that looks like. What is it going to take to become that in five years, all the way down to what do I have to do on a daily basis to achieve that? And that's really the importance of tracking, right? Because a really long goal like that really hard to maintain, right? If, if that's so far in the future and so many things can get in the way, but you break that down and reverse engineer to a daily action, a hundred percent, you'll get it. Just a matter of time.
0: All right. I'll, uh, I'll add the one thing to the list and for that's all the, great. all the listeners out there too. Now you have homework. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can you go, go a little bit more, uh, in depth into the whole progression of thoughts to words, to actions, habits, or have we kind of yes. already...
1: I no, like I, you, I would love to talk a lot deeper. more on that. <laughs> yeah. So, so that actually comes to us from uh, Lao Tzu, who's an ancient Chinese philosopher back in 500 BC. So he, he was the one that said, you know, watch your words, they become, or watch your thoughts, they become your words, watch your words, they become your actions, watch your actions, they become your habits, watch your habits, they become your character, watch your character, it becomes your destiny. So as I, as I teach the inner or the, the mastery cycle is what I call it. Cause as you said, the image on my website, right, you are at the center of this thing. And as you draw this circle around you, that is everything that you encompass. You are your thoughts. You are your words. You are your actions. Ultimately, you're the one in charge of your destiny. You hold in your hands. It's on your shoulders. It's within your control. Therefore, it's your responsibility. That's on you. Nobody can tell you how to think. Yeah, there we go, right? So your current thoughts are what dictate who you currently are at the center of this. You want to change Who you are at the center of this, it starts with your thoughts, right? So George, your question, Hey, you know, the reverse engineering planning, who do you want to be in 10 years? Who do you want to be in three years? Put that person in the center of this mastery cycle and ask yourself, how would that person think? What would the words would that person use be? How would that person act? And I'm actually creating an online course and a a group coaching program to help, especially men as for men control those three things. because we don't control our habits on a daily basis. If you think about it, our habits are what happens on autopilot, right? As we control our thoughts, our words, our actions that then dictates our habits, which dictates our future. So on a daily basis, we have to be very conscious of the decisions that we are making, starting with our thoughts all the way through those words and actions to then dictate what the habits are that then dictate our future. So I'm a big proponent of, and Brandon, I love the way that that you said it, right? Our our thoughts are are good servants, but they're terrible masters. We have to be the ones in control of those because that that feeds our words. And we haven't talked too much about this yet, but Brandon, I think it was you that touched on the empower of self-talk. How would you talk to your kids, man? How would you talk to a loved one? How would you talk to a friend? For those of, of you that don't have kids, how would you talk to anybody that you truly care for? contrast that with how you talk to yourself because i'll I'll be the first to admit my default setting i i don't like how i speak to myself i have to be very conscious of the words that i use with myself alex you're a piece of garbage you're worthless you're a burden nobody wants you around the that self-talk that i experienced during my trauma comes back up consistently and if i'm not aware of that man i go into a deep hole and so I have to be able to, to pull myself out and become, again, what I call a subjective spectator and say, Alex, hold on. If you spoke to your wife this way, what would happen? Yeah, she's definitely not going to stick around, right? I would, I'd put my kids in therapy if I spoke to them the way that I speak to myself sometimes. And so that needs to be something that we're consciously aware of because you know the the saying of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That is true when those words come from other people. But the words that we use with ourselves are the death by paper cuts. And those are the ones that lead ultimately to the suicide attempts that dictate those actions, right? So we have to be very conscious of our self-talk because that then dictates the actions that we will follow up with, right? Which then those on a daily basis dictate the habits, which ultimately dictate our destiny. So if we want to change The man that we are at the center of this mastery cycle to become the man that we know we're capable of becoming, it all starts up here. It's that mindset, feeds the self talk dictates the actions. So that's really what the mastery cycle is to me. And I don't think that there is a finish line to it. It is if you want to change who you are, you have the capability to do that. Put that new desired person, that desired being at the center of this and ask yourself, what will it take through my thoughts words and actions to become that man and then start acting as if you are
3: man i love that i uh you actually harped on something that i I talked to my wife about she's so hard on herself about it Mm -hmm. just like physical appearance and things like that and i always tell her i'm like you know your self-talk sucks if you had a friend who talked to you the way that you talk to yourself you guys wouldn't be friends
1: yeah you punch him in the face
3: well, it's like you want to be friends with yourself right you yeah know, like you gotta be better and and I yeah when you said that man that really hit home because I think we're all a little guilty sometimes we all beat ourselves up we all you know kind of overdo it a little at the at the time and place uh, yeah. for ourselves but yeah anyways yeah that's,
0: there's that's there's been stuff. so much research too on how positive self- talk like the greatest athletes the greatest you know all these people mm-hmm. they they tell themselves like uh Personally, I, I'm very fortunate in this regard. Uh, my grandfather told me I was very competitive in Taekwondo. And you know I was pretty young and nervous. And he was like, I want you to wake up every day and tell yourself like a 100 times that you're going to win that tournament or you're going to win at the Junior Olympics and all that kind of stuff. And I, he like made me just like a mantra. Um, and I did. I won a lot. And I think that was a huge part of it is because like in my head, I didn't get my own way. I just went out there and competed. And I was at my full potential there's been so much research and I don't have all the stats to quote or whatever, but high performing athletes and musicians and all this kind of stuff, those who exercise positive self-talk operate at the highest level. And it's not a coincidence. They're all doing it. Um, And it's not just because they're the most physically fit or the most musically talented. Like there's, they're all good, right? Like if you're in the NFL, everyone's in the NFL, you know, (laughs) they're all the 0.1% of human beings physically gifted enough to play football at that level. Right. So to be that much better, every little tweak, every 1% here and there, but self-talk is probably 10% or more of it, right? When you're stacking up all these little things you can do. Mm-hmm. So just on the flip side of that, the positive angle of it, by making that a system that you do on a daily basis, yes, you are setting yourself up for success before you even head out the door for work or whatever it is.
1: Well, there's there's really interesting research on how to do it too, right? I mean, we when we talk to ourselves it shouldn't be in the first person is actually what the research shows going back to your Olympic studies and, and these professional athletes and very successful people. What they find is that the athletes that pull themselves out and speak to themselves in a third person manner. And they've done this with students and, you know, overcoming anger and pulling themselves out of the situation is really interesting. Those who speak to themselves in the first person have a really hard time separating themselves from the emotion that the situation causes. Right. Right. And therefore kind of get engrossed in it. Whereas if you, if I were to talk to myself, Alex, you can do this, Alex, you can overcome this, Alex, you have the tools to go and do this. It's as if a champion is speaking to you, right? As yeah. if a, a third party cheerleader is helping root you on from that right. subjective spectator perspective, which actually then leads to greater outcomes. So, you know, one of the other things that I, I teach in regards to the mastery cycle is envision the best version of you at the center of that three years, five years, 10 years from now, how would that man speak to you right now? What would he tell you? How would he address you? And that is how we should speak to ourselves to amp ourselves up. Alex, you can do this. You've got this man. Believe in yourself. Cause I believe in you. If you want to become the man, you know, you're capable of becoming, you have to believe in yourself. Like the best version of you does. And, you know, for those of, of us who or for those who may not be religious or anything, I often think of my dad this way. You know, you we as Christian men, we think of heaven, right? So what would what would that heavenly figure say to me? How would he speak to me? But even for those that aren't religious, what what would the best version of you look like on your deathbed? What what does what would he have accomplished in this life? What is it going to take to become that man? How would he speak to you now? What would he tell you to do? There's like the, the, the religion, the spirituality doesn't necessarily have to keep you from having this future conversation with yourself. It needs to be had all the time. And it needs to be had in such a way that when you are on your deathbed, whether you're going to heaven or whether you think you're worm food, you have no regrets here because you are proud of the life that you lived. So how is that man going to speak to you and motivate you to stay disciplined enough to keep acting towards becoming that person. That is how our self-talk should be. Justin, to your point, not always the case. Mine sucks sometimes. And I have to catch myself all the time. Alex fix it. (laughs) Right. But even that needs to be uplifting. It can't be like Alex, you worthless piece of garbage. Your self-talk is just terrible. You know, even that has to be fixed.
3: Well, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. Um, Michael Jordan, I think, said it, uh, but he said there's a massive difference between positive thinking and wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. And, I you know, that. that's something that a lot of people don't differentiate a lot of the time. And you really need to stop and think like positive thinking is the key to you know, growth and all the other things, whereas wishful thinking is something that doesn't happen. And I, if I remember correctly, uh, the quote he said after that was some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. So you, when you, you're thinking positively, you have to think you're going to make it happen. You have to like, you know, self-verbalize it. So yeah, I, I think that's, yep. that's a topic that we can go on and on about. But, on
1: and uh, on. Yeah. But Michael Jordan, I mean, Jordan, me I mean true, right?
3: he willed some of the craziest things to happen. So, I mean, I just thought he was a good example of that. So,
0: yep, absolutely. I'm curious, Alex, if you've uh, heard of the book called The Alter Ego Effect.
1: I've heard of it. I haven't read it though. Okay. It, it's it's interesting. It's <laughs> a
0: lot of what you're talking about, like, envision yourself in the middle and that that is the guy talking to you um <clears throat> you'd probably love that book i would i would go okay. check that one out but i'm worried but the the concept is you can basically um you know typically see it with like sporting events but you can apply mm-hmm. it to any aspect of your life so for an area where you feel incompetent or scared or whatever right you, maybe you have a a, tr- a trauma that's holding you back from reaching your potential in a certain area you can create an alter ego, and you become that alter ego in those scenarios. And it's essentially positive self talk. But you be, that that version of you or your alter ego isn't held back by your limitations. And it's all mm-hmm. mental, and it works. And like I again, this is something I was really blessed with. I didn't realize I had done this throughout my whole life, really, because of something my dad did for me. And I want to share this here just because it's a good like father story. And, uh, so I was in Taekwondo, super competitive and to make me better, my master would have me spar this kid who was older and bigger than me. And he would just wipe the floor with me. Like I was like crying and getting hurt all the time. And I was like real big into star Wars. I was like eight. Um, and my dad sat me down and made me watch the end of return of the Jedi where, you know, Luke is kind of in the shadows and Darth is talking smack. And he's like, maybe your sister, you know, "is like your thoughts betray you too. And he's like, never. It comes out. And my dad was like, you are Luke Skywalker. And every time you get in there, you're going to attack and be on offense, just like he was there and beat Darth Vader. And it sounds really cheesy, but like I did, like I never lost to that kid again. And he, he was still 20, 30 pounds heavier than me, a year older, faster, bigger, all that kind of stuff. And I just, it was all at me. I was so, it was fear. I was gripped by fear that I was not sparring in a way I was capable of. And then from that moment, like every time I walked onto a mat to spar, <laughs> I was Luke Skywalker. You know, sounds super cheesy or whatever. But so you can like play with it too. Like I could be George Skywalker or whatever. But a lot of what you're talking about is that same concept where we lie to ourselves. So it's it's like brain. It's people like oh, it's mind control. Well, everything is mind control. So mind control yourself with positive things as opposed to negative things, right? Mm. Don't hold yourself down. Lift yourself up. And it's we're our own worst enemy so often. You know, it's crazy.
1: Hmm. It is, yeah. It it reminds me of the, and it, it, Brandon, do you want to say something too? Cause I've, I'm again, long winded.
2: Uh, no, I'm just going to say this, this, this all just shows self-doubt and, you know, I know that's something that you, you cover largely in, in your, your process because, you know, self-doubt can resurface in all kinds of stages of life. Right. And so I guess my question to you would be what strategies do you recommend, um, For maintaining self confidence uh, and eliminating self doubt over the long term.
1: Yeah, Um, I think that's a great question. Have you guys heard the the term and the tool name to tame? No. Okay. Uh, Mm -mm. So uh, name to tame is given to us by Dan Siegel. I I believe he's at a Harvard, Uh, and it was actually a tool that my mom gave to me as a kid. And name to tame essentially allows us to tame through naming our negativity so brandon to your point how do i overcome self-doubt well one i want to recognize i am not those those thoughts because that's really where it starts right so as we as we name the negativity within we can now look at it as a third-party perspective and have you guys heard the story of the two wolves tale of the two wolves mm-hmm. okay so you know the are two wolves fighting for for our souls within for those who haven't heard it you know, one is the evil wolf who is greed and anger and frustration and all the negative emotions that we have. The the good wolf within is love, hope, faith, charity, all the good things that we have and the person that we want to be. And the one that wins is the one that we feed, right? right? And I, I love that. And the, the way that we can take charge of that to overcome the self-doubt is one – Name that evil wolf within. I call mine Buster because he's constantly busting my chops. My mom gave him that name when I was a kid. So whenever those those doubts come up, it's hey, I recognize where this is coming from, right? I don't want to bottle up the emotions as we talked about. I want to recognize where they're coming from. Perhaps recognize maybe what, have, what has triggered them. Hey, Buster, this is coming from you. Talk to me for a second. What what's happening? And then I'm gonna shut the conversation off. Buster, I'm not having this conversation with you more, anymore. I am not my negativity. I'm not letting you take charge. I'm pushing you out. Okay, Alex, now what? And this goes back to George to your point like, give that positive version of you, that alter ego, a name. I call mine Alexander Wolf after my my grandmother Shirley Wolf. Like, that is the best version of me. So, okay, Alex, Alexander Wolf comes in. He's like, what are you going to do now? Because I believe in you. You are not your negativity. So, now let's make a plan. And that's where that self talk comes in that then leads to the positive action. So, naming. Name to tame is a negative, and then that positive part is the name to aim, which is, I think, something really, really important. Because um, if if we don't have a target to aim towards, how do we know which actions to take? So when it comes to this, the overcoming self doubt in the long run, know who that man looks like, know who that person looks like to you, and aim towards him. And then, as we talked about, track those progress, those steps, and that progress towards becoming him. And see your progress on a daily basis to do that. And then, you know, it goes hand in hand is doubt is a natural thing for us that we experience, right? We we are negatively predisposed just through evolution, right? The negativity is so potent. It's kept us alive for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. They actually have a ratio called the three to one ratio. It takes three positive experiences to overcome one negative. That's just the potency, of, of negativity. So now we recognize that and just say, okay, that's who we are as humans. We're, we're predisposed I, to I've be negative. I've even
0: heard it as high as like 20. Like if you and say I'm, something, I'm sure it can life or something, you got to do like 20 positives to yeah. balance the scales on that. I'm sure it
1: can be depending on where it's coming from and right. who you are genetically, right? The happiness equation too. Have you guys read that book and heard of that one? So it, that one says that 50% of our happiness is dictated by genetics. And I could say, you know, just based on what I've experienced, I'm not the happiest dude naturally. 10% is based on external factors. 40% is internal tools that, that we have internal perspective. So we have, we really have 40% of the control there, right? Um, so as we recognize that, you know, just again, across common humanity, we're, we're more predisposed to the negative, recognize that's just who you are. Don't feel bad about it. We all have, have negative thoughts. That's Okay. That's natural. So now rather than giving in to the, oh, Alex, start doubting yourself of, man, I'm so negative. I can't believe I would do that. Just change it. Start what I what I like to call it, is doubt your doubts. Those doubts come up. Ah, wh- where's that doubt coming from? Why would I think that? This is telling me I'm doubting my capabilities. I'm going to doubt that and say, no, I don't doubt my, my capabilities anymore. I'm doubting the doubt there. I can do this. And then allow that name to aim character ca- to come in and say, okay, here's how you overcome it. So it's, it's a lot of tools that are intertwined, intertwined into one. Uh, and again, I know a long-winded answer there, Brandon, but starve out the evil wolf, feed the good wolf, drive towards that best self, track it on a daily basis, and doubt your doubts, if I could summarize it.
2: Beautiful. And I, I think the word you, you spoke of being present, uh, being your primary word. For me, outside of that, it's intent just like we were discussing mm-hmm. with suicidal ideation it's it's intent you have to have intention or intentionality in every single aspect of your life and if you are purposefully intent like you would be uh, in a negative way but in a positive way then then you're you're going to hit anything that you go after especially if you're following it with discipline you're you're intent with discipline like that's the hardest thing that I've I've had to struggle with and so when i push with intent, then I uh usually it overrides my my doubts and then I see you know you get those small wins and those small wins get the medium sized wins and you just keep snowballing right and so that's that's usually what it helps me too but man that's a beautiful answer. I love that.
0: I'd argue there are no small wins. They're all wins. Amen. i Don't because like maybe that one that one quote little win you get is the only one you get that day. So don't downplay it.
2: That's yeah, that's something I do.
0: But yeah. Amen. Uh good segue about starving out the bad wolf feeding the good one. So let's go into nutrition a little bit. We've done, we've talked to Mm -hmm. several people about power of fitness. I think our audience is pretty well aware of how we feel on that one, but nutrition haven't really gone into we've had one guest maybe, but um, I I love, I'm going to read a quote from you and then I just want you to kind of expand on why, how nutrition is so important um, especially for when it comes to mental health, not just Mm -hmm. looking good. Uh, so you say our food should be our medicine and our medicine should be our food. I think that's actually a quote of someone else that you had on your website. Aristotle, I believe. Yeah, there you go. So can you expand for us and for our audience? Why a good nutrition plan is not just about looking good naked and it is probably more important for mental health.
1: Yes. So personal story and why I'm so passionate about this. I've always been one of those sick kids like I I saw the witch doctor and went on these special diets when I was a kid and, you know, was poked and prodded and all that. And when I was, uh, 21 was diagnosed with Crohn's and I approached that just, you know, strictly through food. Fortunately, I, it's very minor comparative to, to what other people have. Like I still have everything intact, haven't had anything removed, but I still go into flare ups if I don't take care of myself. So I am, I'm very dedicated and disciplined when it comes to my nutrition. And what I want to caveat is everybody is different. What we're learning now with nutrition is there is no one way to eat, right? Counting your macros may work. Keto may work. You it, Vegetarianism may work. Veganism may work for you. The, the, uh, carnivore diet may work for you, right? Everybody has their own thing. That's what I'm going to caveat with. But why it's so important for mental health your gut is your is your second brain during our our production as we're growing as a fetus our brain and our stomach share the same tissues 90% of our serotonin which is the happy hormone is actually produced in the gut so if we don't have proper gut health our anxiety, depression, self-doubt, all those things that I'm dedicated to, to help people overcome takes a massive hit. So the, the hunger hormones, ghrelin, We we have all these things that lead to triggers, right? Hunger. If you, if you know the 12 step program, HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, hunger is a massive trigger for people fighting demons in here. It leads to, you know, what, what, our abusive behaviors will be. And that's because our hunger hormone hormone is attached greatly up here as well. It comes to our energy as well. If we're tired, we're going to have massive crashes, which then lead to further mental abusive behaviors, right? If we're constantly having insulin spikes, if we're constantly having massive crashes, if we're not sustaining our caloric intake enough to give us enough energy to be able to fight these things in here, I forget who said it, maybe it was Freud, Um, who said, when we're tired, we lose to the demons that we had previously overcome. All of these things are really, really important. And so our nutrition plays directly into that. And we're, we're finding through new studies that are coming out every year, the importance of that and what plays into that, right? High protein intake, watch your carbohydrates, good fats, and how that feeds the brain and how the hormones are balanced between the brain and the gut, the gut biome, man is something that we're really starting to to wrap our arms around and the importance of it. So many important hormones live in our gut that play into our self-doubt, anxiety, and depression. So your nutrition, whatever that may be, needs to be on point. And I would caveat too, whatever it is, watch your sugar intake. Watch the spikes, watch the crashes, watch your dairy intake as well, because we're seeing a lot of the hormones that are coming into that dairy intake, right? So not saying don't have it, but be careful with it. Watch the glutens because that is, you know, highly processed now. Watch the uh, seed oils. Those things are having, you know, some, some pretty detrimental effects on our our gut biome as well. So like those, and then of course, alcohol, right? That's a depressant in and of itself. So if you're dealing with any of those things, don't, I don't drink. It just feeds demons, right? Like yep. I'm not going to do it. So, anyway, long story short, our our gut is our body's second brain. And so, if we're thinking like, "Oh, I only have to do things that take care of my head," that is absolutely not the case. We have to take care of our guts if we're going to simultaneously take care of our heads.
0: Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that phrase, man. Our gut is our second brain. It's so good.
2: Yeah, that's it,
0: it's massive.
2: And what's crazy is there's research of like fecal matter transplants mm. uh and mm. it's coming from somebody that's very healthy very happy and it's going into a pseudo suicidal person and it, the person is just a completely different person and it's because yeah. that gut biome is completely changed and you know i did an extensive study on antibiotics antibiotics will absolutely put you in a state of depression so yep. men when you're taking antibiotics you need to take a probiotic and i'm not talking about one that you have to refrigerate because if you have to refrigerate it, the second it hits your stomach, it's gone. About 1% of that makes it to your gut. You need to get one that is a spore biotic based probiotic because the spores actually make it through the stomach acid and through your body's higher temperature and gets into your gut. And Mm -hmm. then that microbiome becomes healthy again, because basically an antibiotic is, is a nuclear bomb to your gut biome. And you're literally destroying it. And so the food, I call it the farm, the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, when you're not eating processed, you're not eating high sugar or soys or oils or any of that stuff. And you're eating just clean, like 70% of your plate should be fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. and natural things that come from the ground that are organic as possible. Man, I'm telling you, it's, you're just living in a whole nother world. You, you, your health is just, it's crazy.
1: It is, man. There's there's a great book called Brain Energy by Chris Palmer, who uh, was he, is he out of Stanford? I forget where he's out of, but he's a psychiatrist there. And long story short, and this one, when I first heard about it and then read the book, blew me away. He's not saying like a certain percentage of mental health issues are caused by gut. What he is saying is that every mental health issue from depression to bipolar, to multi-personality, to schizophrenia can be reversed within our gut. That is how powerful our gut. And I see that face too. I had the same thing. I was like, wait, what it, that is how powerful our gut biome is and how intimately it is tied into our brains. Our gut biome is massive. So our nutrition really when it comes to the self-doubt, anxiety, depression, and everything else is extremely important for our mental health. And then of course, I'm a big believer, you know, and you are what you consume and I'm not just talking food, but media, everything. And I'm also a believer that if you are to live the highest level of being, which is a spiritual existence, if you want to tap into a higher power, again, call it God, call it life, call it the universe, call it energy, whatever you want. How are you supposed to tap into that if you're constantly in brain fog? How are you supposed to tap into that and communicate with that if, if you cannot control what you're putting into your body? How are you supposed to control what you are putting into your mind, into your spirit? Our, our self-discipline when it comes to our nutrition, and this is actually, I don't call it diets. I call it nutritional discipline. You pick your nutritional discipline so that you can have discipline everywhere else because the, the, the first thing and one of the easiest things that we can track is our food. It's our fitness and it's our food. And so if we're not tracking what we're putting into our bodies, how then are we going to grasp what we can put into our minds and what we can put into our spirit? So tracking your nutrition as a discipline is really a segue and an entry tool to tracking everything else and being aware of what you're putting into your body as a whole. And I think that that mentality itself is really important because we need to be more aware of what we're consuming as a whole.
3: You know, it's it's kind of funny. Um, I got a question for y'all, and I want to see who who can answer this question. Do you know what other biome is directly related to the gut? I'll give you a hint: it's where your food comes in. Your yeah. oral. Oh,
1: the, the, your oh. oral
3: oh. health. So, my wife's a, a pediatric dentist. I forgot to tell you that before we started, Alex. So, I learned something from her in her dental school uh, that not only can your oral health affect your gut biome your gut biome can affect your oral health. They're like seriously directly linked and they can lead to like gum disease. If you have poor, uh, you know, gut biome and, and and you don't have a good nutritious diet or if you eat a lot of sugar. So that's why it's, you, you were talking about nutrition. I don't think people realize how much nutrition actually affects different parts of the body. And it's so interesting that, you know, each one of those can feed different, parts of the body and the brain and everything else. So it's just something neat that I actually knew for once. So I had to share it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thanks man. Learn something new every day. I didn't know that. And I need to, you know, take better care of my oral health anyway. So more motivation for me. Yeah. That's great.
3: And it's, it's crazy. Uh, just for all you parents out there, a little free advice. Uh, make sure you're brushing your kid's teeth after milk. Don't give them anything in the middle of the night, unless it's water, uh, because what you don't realize you're doing is, is causing, you know, more decay and, and causing a lot of the issues. And and that's why my wife's in business is because people give their kids something to, to placate them while they're, you know, upset or, or, or hungry in the middle of the night, they'll give them juice or God, I've even heard of Coke, which is crazy to give a kid, but um, you know, milk is, is bad for that as well. And you also have something in your mouth called caries, you know, it's it's why you're not supposed to kiss your own children on the mouth. You share what you've had for a lifetime to your children.
0: And well, no know, one here is Tom Brady, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I have no idea about any of that. Oh my god,
3: I had no say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like people don't realize it's called caries and it 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 goes it, as soon as anything you, you kiss your kid on the lips, guess what? They just got the same bacteria that you've had for a lifetime that can give them wow. oral decay, gum disease, all these other issues they were never susceptible to, they now have the, the chance to get. Uh, so that's just a, a little FYI for all you parents. Well, don't do it because
0: it's creepy. Yeah, well, that's true. But <laughs> that's like, reason enough.
3: <laughs> I get it. Like if your kid's like a few months old and they're like, ah, you know, but yeah, yeah. Like just just no little, food for, little food for thought. Oral health is just as important uh, and nutrition can 100% help that as well
1: so yeah i sorry brandon do you have something else
2: yeah i was just gonna say there's a uh, you mentioned a book there's another book uh, dr mark hyman forever young um goes Mm. through a lot of this stuff so eloquently and it it's such a a fascinating book because again it touches on the gut biome it touches on uh fungus growth inside the body and how you can get rid of that like candida uh, or candidias and that that kind of stuff and so there's a lot of factors that we don't consider um, that truly affect us in our mental health. So,
1: yeah, it, it, again, it's all so intimately intertwined. I saw this really interesting study the other day they gave children oatmeal, steel cut oats, and then an omelet for breakfast. And they wanted to compare how the hunger hormones were released in the brain, how insulin led them to be hungry and what they ate the rest of the day. And then, you know, so they gave them these things, they locked them in a room and studied their behavior And the kids that had oatmeal for breakfast, carbs, right? Insulin spike, very simple oatmeal, ended up eating 81% more than those kids that had uh, eggs for the omelet. And then they ended up eating something like 50% more than those that had the steel-cut oats, which is a much slower, more complex carbohydrate. So I know that a, a lot of us, again, going back to that, if you want to be present, you need to be proud of your presence. Part of that is how you look. You need to be confident in how you look. And again, George, to your point, it's not just about looking sexy naked and all those things that that's a byproduct, right? Or that is the outcome that that will be achieved as you take care of yourself. But if you want to be present in a room full of people and not worry, Oh, what is everybody else thinking of me? That is part of it. Like, let's be honest. You want to look good in your own skin. You want to feel confident you, that is how we overcome the self doubt of, Oh, people are judging me. I'm just going to stay home. And I'm not going to voice my opinion because I think people are thinking about me. And so recognizing how, what we eat and when we eat it then plays into the further behavioral patterns of eating leading to either weight loss or weight gain, energy maintenance, all of those things is really important because look, I'm, I'm a proud anti-dad bod club member, right? Like I, that's just a personal thing for me. Yeah, there it is. Right. And again, I'm not saying you have to have a six pack. Everybody has a different body type. I'm well aware of that. But if you want to be present, be proud of your presence. And part of that mental proud of presence is being confident in your skin. And we can, you know, we can laugh about that all the way home. But seriously, people are, our self confidence first thing is what you see in the mirror. Yep. That plays a huge part in it.
0: It's, I mean, it, it's, it kind of baffles me. We have to actually have this conversation that like the dad bot is not good. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, pull a hundred guys and say, if you could flick a switch and have better looking muscles overnight, would you do it? I think 100 of 100 guys are going to say, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's just, so don't deceive yourself on that one. If, if that's a blind spot for you, if that's a plank in your eye that you're just like, oh, well, I don't really need to get fit because you know, that's not really important for being a better dad or whatever. It's like, well, one, you're just robbing Whoa. yourself of mental health, like we talked about. But also, I mean, I, what kind of example are you setting? Thank Is that you. really the example you want to set? Is that really the legacy you want to leave? Now, it's not everything, right? Fitness isn't everything. If you go and just be the, the jack dude and that's all you are then that's still one-dimensional just like being only the smart guy and not the fit guy is also one-dimensional right. yep. but a balance and like you said yeah the goal isn't to be a competition bodybuilder, but get in health not shape you know yeah um, be physically healthy is in my opinion should just be table stakes uh well and, and, we didn't
1: really talk about it too much and maybe we save it for, for another episode or something, but the university of Australia, just at the beginning of this year came out and expressed how taking care of yourself physically with fitness and exercise is 1.5 times as effective as leading medications and therapies to overcome depression and anxiety. So like, again, this isn't just about looking good. It is about mentally feeling good. And I will harp on this all day. If you want to be mentally, if you want to mentally, emotionally, and spiritually feel good, you cannot neglect the physical. Because that the physical is the gateway to be able to achieve those things. You're not going to be able to be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually fit if you are not physically, because the brain fog is going to get in the way. You're not going to have the energy. You're not going to be able to control your thoughts, your words, your actions that then dictate the destiny that you want. If you're physical. Fitness is not being addressed on a daily being yeah, addressed on a daily basis. Again, you don't need a six pack. That's not what this is about. It's about proving yourself right that you are worthy of taking care of yourself. Yeah. That is the act of physical fitness is you are taking the time out of the day saying, Hey, I I am worth taking care of. I am worth saying I'm done with work. I'm worth saying I need a break from family to say I need to take care of myself. That is what this is about, man. So please give yourself that the ability to say you are worthy to be taken care of if by nobody else than by you. And of course, that always begs the question, if you're not going to take care of yourself, why would anybody else? Yeah. So think about that, guys, that it's not just about the six pack, right? It's about the well,
0: and six so six it's not just the mental, too. So if, if you're less conditioned, your body doesn't work as well. You start to get nerve pain, all that kind of stuff, yes. chronic pain add stress like it's just a it's a negative cycle that keeps spiraling and so for me personally too like there were a couple of years where I like kind of you know I wasn't like overweight or anything but I had not been training to sustain my body and so in old injuries you know stuff from the military all that kind of stuff started really nagging my back pain got really really bad you know sittings bad for us mm-hmm. um, constant chronic pain was raising my tension raising my stress I was irritable short like has negative effects that span way beyond how you look in the mirror and when I started getting back to um you know a, a daily routine like you were talking about to worry about my long-term health and longevity and rehabbing injuries and things like that my pain is way lower like I just feel better not not from like a, oh look how good I look I feel younger mm-hmm. feel better like I'm yep. working better my body moves better now so like it's you're just doing yourself a favor by, by getting in a routine like that. So I know Justin had something on this too. I want to kick it over to him.
3: Oh, I just was going to say something I'd read about recently. Um, it's, it's the most interesting thing I think I've ever read about. It's, uh, so the it's on PubMed, you can go and find it. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact name of the article. I'll try to find it. We can post it, but, Long story short, uh, the South Koreans and USC found a uh, hormone they're calling the exercise or miracle hormone. It directly affects um, metabolism. Uh, It affects your muscle and bone growth and density. It literally, so essentially what it is, is this is supposed to combat everything bad in your body. Um, Fatigue, it's supposed to, be like the ultimate like uh antidepressant it's a natural antidepressant that's stronger than any drug on the market um it's it's just unbelievable some of the the key health benefits that they found from this and it's only done during um like rigorous exercise Mm -hmm. and so this was just discovered like in the last few years and they just finally came out with the the study on it it's it's pretty and, and it's pretty and i guess amazing is the word i was looking for sorry um there's another word i was looking for but i couldn't think of it I, I do that a lot um but long story short i would say go and try to find this um i want to say i think the the hope molecule is what brandon was saying um okay i'll yeah something I, else i've heard of yeah yeah it, find, it's, find it's, that
0: article that. so we can uh put it. we in need to share it it's, this, it's, but, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah yeah i'm really curious to see like at what when you say hard exercise like to what level of mm-hmm. stress do you have to peak at to and that's going to be, to it's going to be relative, right? Because if you're a deconditioned person, you know, doing 20 push ups is going to be kind of hard. If you are in great shape, 20 push ups is not hard. So it's like, I'm curious, is it a heart rate thing? So, yeah. So the tested subjects were uh, 160 beats per minute um, mm. for at
3: least four minutes. Okay. So it's a pretty good that's sustained at least
0: rate of four minutes.
3: For at least four minutes. But, I mean, you get that You can get that from working out, you can get that from running. I mean, that's, that's wow. not a yeah. hard. No, I mean, you, if you, if you actually challenge yourself to what you're supposed to do anyways, Yeah, totally. On muscle groups, yeah, you're going to get that or close to that. I'm sure you can get it with less, but they were just saying that, you know, the test groups and stuff that that was the primary, that's where they found the most concentration of this hormone. So it's pretty interesting that your body and its cells can literally create something that can combat everything negative in your life that can affect you. (laughs) So there you go exercise. Yeah. So we'll move on from that. I guess the, the last question we really had for you is just one we really ask all guests. Um, and this one's kind of off topic, but, um, what's a story or something, uh, from your journey and fatherhood that you just really want to share with other dads that just kind of hits home that you instantly think about when you think about, you know, being a dad.
1: Oh man, that's a great question. Um, hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily a story as much as it is a chapter of life that I'm in. Because, uh, you know, I've got a a five-year-old and I can't believe that she's five. I've got a -a three-and-a-half-year-old. I can't believe she's three-and-a-half. I've got a one-year-old. I cannot believe that she's one and we're pregnant with a fourth. And it's it's our last one. And I, I cannot believe how quickly time is going. Time as a parent is a bit of a paradox because I see myself as the same person that I was when I had my first baby, right? I'm 27, 28 years old. I don't, I don't see myself as I'm 33. And yet I look at my oldest and I think, oh my gosh, time has passed. You are five. You're in, you're in kindergarten. You are, you are growing so much and time is flying by. And I think, you know, as I look at this chapter in my life, I recognize the importance of being present because it will fly by if we don't stop and take the time to be here with our kids. And so I I don't know that I can necessarily think of one story in particular as much as this phase of, I can't believe it's slowly slipping past already and it is going by too quickly. In fact, and I think that that's a double-edged sword, right? I love watching my kids grow, but I just want to shake them and be like, "Stop growing so fast!" Because it, I know as soon as you know they get their teen years, having four girls, or I think we're going to have a fourth girl, it it's going to be crazy for me. Um, but I I just I recognize that I can get lost in my purpose to to change the world and decrease suicide rates and try and make everybody better and build a community that is powerful and uplifting to really impact the world. But I can't use that as a justification to not be present with my own family. I have to tell myself every day, Alex, do not build a community at the expense of your own, because this is going to be over soon. It's going to, it's going to fly by. And as I view myself on my deathbed, the largest regret that I will have is neglecting my family. And so I, you know, the, the thing that I would point out, the story for the fathers is, man, be aware of the time that's passing because it is, it is moving way too quickly. Watch Bluey go sit on the couch and cuddle, go coach their soccer team, go get ice cream with them. Stop, you know, turn all this stuff off. I'm going to go and jump in bed with them after this, even if they're sleeping, just be there, you know, cause it just goes by too fast, man. I think that that is, that's the one thing that comes to my mind when I think of like, man, it's awesome to be a dad. Is uh it? They won't always need me. That's going to be over sooner than, than I recognize. Yeah. I'm sorry if that wasn't a direct answer. No, that, that was. was so,
3: I couldn't answer answered that better myself. And I, I'll have to say, Great. just to emphasize, being present is 100%. But but time is absolutely a thief, and mm-hmm. I guess. You, you you really said the best advice I was ever given. Uh, it was given to me by my own father, which was stay present in the moment because you're going to blink and your kids will be adults. And I, I saw a crazy thing on Instagram the other day. It was a real and it was very sad. It, it, ma- it hurt my heart because uh, it was this guy. He was ta- a child psychologist talking about how you sp- I think the actual statistic was uh, by the time they're 12 years old, you spent 90 oh, yeah. percent of the time you will spend with them. I saw that by that day. I was like, oh my god, like man. wow. Yeah. That hurts. Got four years. <laughs> Ninety <now>. percent <laughs> of their life has been spent with us, or the time that they will spend with us in that time is, is by age twelve. Yeah.
0: Like I, I will just just to raise the mood a little bit, Alex, to encourage <laughs> you. Um you know, you, you're a stated man of faith on that. Um yes. You know, so Brandon's oldest, I think, is nine and mine's eight. So we're a little bit ahead of you in terms of kind of like, oh, man, you know, the time's flown by. My wife and I actually were laying in bed last night talking about this exact thing and uh, kind of lamenting a little bit. You know, oh, she doesn't missay say words anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, she does everything correctly. And you know, we're at that point where she's she's not a little girl anymore. She's kind of a big girl and pretty independent and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I kind of just reminded my wife, too, that. Um, she's not really ours in the first place, right? She's God's and we're kind of just stewarding her. And the whole point is for her to become a woman and just to move out and have her own family one day. And so as painful as it is personally, it's also kind of the mission and the reward of if we do it well, they're going to go out and, you know, it'll, it'll hopefully be tenfold from, from our little slice of the thing. So Um, but yes, enjoy every minute while it's there, especially the times when you're tired or, uh, feel like you have something more important to do. Um, just, just capitalize on being dad while you are. And, um, I've never regretted telling something else. No, to pick (laughs) my, my daughter, you know, and, and like you, that I think that's my, that would be my biggest regret too, is if on my deathbed, I felt that, um, you know, I had built things or communities at the expense of my family. Um, you know, and I think the world we live in, that's a lie that a lot of people have been sold is go chase this or that and not family. And, uh, it is a lie. It is, it's an empty lie and you may not have riches, earthly riches or whatever, but the the rewards that you'll have for, this is for all the dads by showing up as dad now while they're young. And while you have a a say in the matter, you will never regret that no matter whatever else happens in your life. You will always be glad that you did that. So Alex, I, I appreciate the the very candid uh, kind of response to that question. Normally it's a little lighthearted, but I think it's important to drill in on how real it is. So thank you for sharing that with us. And also thank you for sharing your whole story and, Not the whole story, but a lot of of what you've been through and just being real uh, because isolation for men is the enemy. And I think what you're you're doing is really healing that wound for a lot of people.
1: I appreciate that, George. I appreciate all you guys giving me the time. um, And let me be open, right? I think the vulnerability that I try to express is really in tandem with the empathy that I try and share too. Like, look, life is hard. I'm going through a stage right now where – Um, everything is great and I'm still having a hard time and like, that's okay. You know, that's just part of life. Um, I love what you guys are doing. We need strong fathers. We need strong men. We need good examples. We need guys to, to be the band of brothers that we all need. You know we can't do this alone. Life is way too freaking hard to do this alone, yes. man. Like, knock that off. Throw the pride away and just like be okay raising your hand. But like, I need help, man. Even if yep. it's just a shoulder to lean on, I need help. And you know that that's okay, guys. Like, we're all that way. <laughs> so I, again, I appreciate what you guys are doing because it it allows for us men to come together and recognize that. We, yeah, man, man.
0: Well, we're we're happy to to uh, have you on and, and kind of spread the message. So before anyone goes, keep listening in Alex, where's the best place for people to find you? Is it your website? Is it Instagram? What, what's all the, all the places?
1: Yeah. So, uh, first place is just Instagram, Alex Wassum, um, on Instagram. I've got alexwassum.com as a landing page, uh, stronger than your is more of where the details are found. And I'm, I'm starting another, um, company with my buddy called Wolf Life Consulting. It's, uh, after my, my grandmother Shirley Wolf. And that's where I'm going to be doing my online courses and uh, group coaching directed at men to, to go over all these things. I'm going to teach the mastery cycle, how to ascend the inner mountains of mastery, how to take care of yourself physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, intuitionally, all those things. Um, and then how to forge the optimal you, what does that future you look like? How do you put that man in the center of the mastery cycle act as if you're that person now control the thought words, actions, all of that is coming in the new year. So um, keep an eye out for that. I'll share that with you guys. But again, just trying to build a community like you guys are doing here so that we can, we can be better men and uh, recognize, and you know, I'm a big believer. Strength for you is a starting point. Strength for two is the end goal. Um, and I appreciate you guys allowing me to, to share this with you. So
0: thank of course, you. man. Well, we appreciate you coming on and, uh, and being real. And Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. you know, it's all I know how to, to do, man. Yeah, well, that's the that's the what we should all do, right? <laughs> Live without pretense. So, I love it, man. Thank you so much. Um, I love your heart for uh, just being genuine and and for helping others. And uh, we need more of that. So thanks for thanks for bringing on uh, some positivity and and uh, you know helping others. So um, with that said, please uh, do us a favor. Whatever podcast uh, you listen to, whether it's Google, Spotify, Apple, whatever, go ahead and leave us a review. Uh, hopefully five stars and uh, subscribe to YouTube and all our other channels on Instagram and whatever else. So appreciate you all. Uh, All right, dad's enough talk. Let's get climbing. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the present father's podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify to catch all of our amazing episodes. We will see you in the next one.